Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the truth of Scripture that we are forever yours because of your love for us. There's nothing that can separate us from you. There's nothing in this earth. There's nothing in heaven. There's no power. There's no principalities. There's nothing, God, that can separate us. We are yours. And we, un we stand undone by that love. God, we're grateful. We worship you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, uh, it's been a great series that Darren's led us through for the last four weeks. And we're in the last Sunday of it. Uh, the lessons we've learned from 15 years of doing church at Westridge. And Darren's given me the last Sunday to back clean up and to talk about kind of a forward-looking message and what uh, we'll do in the next 15. So we'll do the next 15 as if it would be our last. And I kind of thought about that and I wondered, you know, why Darren gave me the next 15. I don't know if it was that he kind of looked at my age being the oldest of the teaching pastors. You know, I'm 52 and... You know, added the 15 to that, looked at my family history and thought, well, Greg won't see 70, so I'll give him a shot. But I wondered, you know, as I thought, I kind of sat for the last few weeks looking at that topic and thought, we're going to see a lot of changes in 15 years. I mean, think about it. Think about how people are going to change in the next 15 years. I immediately thought about Michael. My hair is going to be gone? <laughs> I think you'll wear a wig. <laughs> I hope Michael's still rocking it out 15 years from now on this stage. But he'll be the dad of a high school student in 15 years. I want to see that. I thought about two weeks ago how Darren was moaning and groaning about being 45 and a sagging, achy, balding, middle-aged man. Think about Darren at 60. <laughs> or better yet, don't. And then I thought about Gordon, and thanks to the strong genetics of his Italian heritage, I don't think Gordon's going to change at all in 15 years. <laughs> then I thought about how our church could change in the next 15 years. I think ministries will begin and ministries will end. I thought 15 years from now, some of the buildings that were envisioned, some of the additions to this current building that were envisioned five years ago, could actually be built and be in use. We could triple in size as a church in 15 years. God only knows what could happen in this church in the next 15 years by His grace and by His strength. And though those things are wonderful, that's not what gets my heart racing when I think about Westridge in the next 15 years. What gets my heart racing, what I'm most looking forward to, is how we are going to live out this radical love of God together in the next 15 years. Because loving God and loving each other is really what it's all about. It's central to everything that we do here at Westridge, in our individual lives and together as a church. 1 John 4 says it this way. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete among us. Well, the churches that I grew up in, and I have been in church almost since the first day I was born, uh, were filled with wonderful people who loved God deeply. But as I grew up and began to think about what I was being taught, I began to wonder if they were a little bit off in some of the stuff they were teaching me. Ever have that feeling? Hopefully not this morning. Um, One of the things I began to question was their overall perspective about what the Christian life was all about. Here's what I mean. What they taught people in churches I grew up in was that the whole point of the Christian life was to get ready to die and go to heaven. And that might sound odd for you to hear me say that, but that's really what they believed. Just get ready to die and go to heaven. That's all it was about. And that really twisted things for people. Twisted things for me growing up. Because the focus of life then became not so much about enjoying a relationship with Jesus. The focus in that church became on a fear of going to hell. So for a lot of people who accepted Jesus, it was about not going to hell more than it was believing in him, following him, loving him, and accepting the grace that comes from God. Here's how twisted this can get in people's minds, or at least in my mind. I distinctly remember being seven years old and knowing those truths that if I'm not believing in Jesus, that I'm going to hell, seven years old. And I developed this fear of going over bridges in a car. Because if something would happen and the bridge would fall, no, I didn't live in Minnesota, but if, too soon? Uh, if, If we went over a bridge, the bridge collapsed, and I died, I would go to hell. I never talked to my parents, still haven't told them this day about this, but I was just always held my breath and was afraid going over bridges. That was my relationship with God. It was like that was my insurance of going to heaven was accepting Jesus. The bigger problem with this is this, aside from it just not being a biblical teaching about conversion, is that if you come to Jesus out of fear, you'll most likely live your entire relationship with Jesus out of fear. And so then you read passages in the scripture like when Jesus says, I've come that you can have life and have it to the full. It's really hard for that to resonate in your mind. The passage we read out of 1 John 4, a little later on, you know, John writes and says, perfect love does away with fear. Well, that's really hard to connect that. If you've come to Jesus out of fear, you're living out of fear, those two things don't match up. So as an adult, I started to read the scriptures and understand, and I came to a different perspective 
about what this relationship with God is all about, how we come into a relationship with God, and really started to look back and go, those people that I grew up with loved God deeply, but they were just a little messed up in their teaching of little kids in Sunday school. Snacks were good, teaching was off. So I've finally come to a place in my life where I have a very different perspective, and it's that I want to talk about this morning in this 15th lesson about doing church together for 15 years at Westridge. And it's this, it's a healthier perspective. Rather than spending our days, you know, trying to live so that we'll get into heaven, what we need to do is this. We need to live every day so that heaven gets into people. Now that sounds like a play on words, but it's not. It's a very different way to believe and to live. If we live our life just to get into heaven, we can get caught up in rules and fear. And lots of religions are based on rules and fear. We spend our time wondering, am I, have I done enough? Am I across the line so that when I die, I'll go to heaven? And we miss the life of grace and joy that Jesus has called us to. So what does it mean for heaven to get into me? What does it mean for me to help heaven to get into the people that I know? Well, let's talk about heaven for just a second. Very simplistic way for me to think about heaven, because I'm a simple kind of guy, is this. Heaven is really about all the distractions of this life being stripped away so that I can focus on my relationship with God. All the distractions are gone. So on this earth, that's not possible. But in heaven, I won't be distracted by the leaves piling up in my yard that I have to get to. I won't be distracted by all the bills that I have to pay or ignore. I won't be distracted by doctor appointments or meals to fix or laundry that has to be done. Not that I'm distracted by the laundry. I won't be distracted by all the necessary and mundane things in my life that pull me away from my relationship with God. I also won't be distracted by the fun things in life that pull me away from my relationship with God. I won't be thinking about who the Bears are playing at noon today and will they win or not. You didn't even think about that until I mentioned it, did you? I won't be distracted by other relationships that pull me away from God when I get to heaven. I won't fall asleep during my prayers anymore. And don't look at me like I'm the only one that does. <laughs> when I get to heaven, all the distractions are stripped away. And my focus is on God and my relationship with Him. So how do I begin to do that now as best I can? How do I bring heaven into my life and begin that journey now? How do I help heaven to come to earth and impact my life and the lives of people around me? How do I invite God into my everyday, ordinary life? Well, we start by learning to live in Jesus every day. If we read a little further in that passage in 1 John, what we read in 1 John 4.15 is John writing that if we have accepted Jesus, that we not only live in God, but God lives inside of us. Living in Jesus. It sounds like a simple concept. But if we're honest, it's hard to do that in the everyday, ordinary life that we live. To live every moment in Jesus. It's much more than simply following a set of rules. 
a bunch of do's and don'ts. We can follow the rules without having a change of heart. I remember when our kids were little, and I don't remember which one of them it was, but I remember that we were sitting them in a chair. It was long before it was called time out. It was just a chair. We said, you're going to sit in a chair and think about what you've done. And so we sat them in a chair, and they kept getting up. We had to put them back, and we'd reset the timer, and they'd get up. We'd put them in the chair, reset the timer. And I forget which one of them it was because they were both stubborn about this thing. Finally, we got them to sit in the chair, and as I, as I walked away, they looked at me and said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> they get that from their mom. Um, <laughs> not for me. You can be completely obedient on the outside, but on the inside, nothing's changed. Living in Jesus eventually means that we're going to have this change from the inside out. That we're going to not just conform to some set of rules, but we're going to begin to change in how we think, how we feel. We're going to start to have Jesus' habits. We're going to have his relationship that he had with God the Father. And that process begins from the moment that we accept Jesus and continues throughout our life as we learn to live in Jesus. Honestly, we all fight that sometimes. We just do. And we forget the help that God offers us in that. Galatians chapter 2 says, Paul writes this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says the same thing that John says. In fact, Paul writes about it in the letters that he writes to help churches. He writes about that very theme as a source of help 164 times in the New Testament. It says it's the best way for us to grow, the best way for us to change. It's leaning into Jesus who lives right inside of us, not judging us, helping us, empowering us to live the life that he calls us to. He's cheering us on inside of us every single moment. As I thought about that this week, I thought the reality for me, though, is I don't think about him being with me every single moment. I just don't. But let's, so let's be honest about that. How much of our day do we think about Jesus being with us when we're at work, when we're at home, if we're out shopping, if we're doing yard work, if we're in a restaurant with families, maybe even right now, had you thought about Jesus being with you? How much of our average day are we actually aware of the fact that God is present with us, wanting to help us, wanting just to be with us in what we're doing? I'm great at sometimes inviting God to be a part of what I'm doing, like this week when I was writing the message. I'm very good before I write a message at stopping and praying and inviting God to be a part of what I'm doing so that what I bring on Sunday mornings is helpful most of the time, some of the time, occasionally. But there are other times that I don't even think about it. So like this week, we were doing some demolition work on our house. We're remodeling our kitchen, our dining room, and our living room into a great room. So demolishing, tearing stuff out, it's just fun work. Um, I didn't think about inviting God to be a part of that, you know, with my son and my wife and I, while we're just tearing stuff out of our house. Don't ask me why. Saying it, verbalizing it right now, seems like it would have been a smart thing to do to invite God to be a part of that. I didn't. Growth comes 
when we recognize those moments where we didn't invite God to be with us, and then we do the next time. So we started that project on Wednesday night. Thursday night, I invited God to be a part of it, just in my head. I said, okay, God, Wednesday night, I didn't do this. Tonight, I want you to be. It seems logical when I'm using power tools that can take off fingers or limbs or just seems smart to invite you to be a part of this, not just for protection and wisdom, but also to invite you into it so that it's fun. I'm looking at one of the guys in my small group in the room, and that's where I got the idea, is from him. Inviting God to be a part of something like that. So I just invited God into it. I said, God, just be in this. Be with us in the demolition. And it was a whole different evening. I think it's really important for us to invite God into those mundane parts of our life, into every part of our life. Because it's often in my life, and maybe you found the same thing, it's in those simple little moments of my life where I wouldn't invite God in, where I often make the decisions that honor Him or don't. It's in those mundane parts of my life that my life can get off track. And so I need Him to be a part of every moment of my life if I'm going to live in Him and live for Him. I think that's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. My life gets off track most often starting with a thought. So I invite Jesus more and more to be a part of every part of my day I'm not getting it right all the time. It just means that I'm increasingly willing to live like Jesus would live in my unique life. To see what Jesus would see if He looked through my eyes. To think like Jesus would think if He were in my life. And to feel what He would feel and therefore to do what Jesus would do if He were in my place. And I'm not going to get it right all the time. And that's why I'm going to need grace from God and from you as I live out my life. The second thing, if we're going to bring heaven into earth and influence our life and others, is we need to learn to love others. Not a tough concept until we try to live it out. We read the Gospels and we see quickly that Jesus found the unique fingerprints of God on the soul of every single human being that he encountered. Criminals, Romans, thieves, Samaritans, Lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, demoniacs, and even children. That was a joke. Jesus treated them all with great respect, and he offered them grace. And when he sent his disciples out to serve, he expected them to do the same. I love the way that Matthew 10 reads out of the message. He said to the disciples, Don't begin to tra- by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. Don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. I love that. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. If we're going to help heaven get into people, then it's not just about us living more closely with Jesus. It also has to be about us going into our community and serving others in His name. 
The church was never meant to be a cloistered community. It was intended to be a serving, sending, sent community. I know that's been a part of our DNA here at Westridge since the very beginning. But there's part of me that believes that there is fresh wind and fresh fire in that these days for us. That there's something new going on here. And I love it. Over the last two weekends, there were over 40 people who went into one of the poorest neighborhoods in Elgin and served. And it was amazing for me to get to be a part of that for one Saturday morning and just to watch the joy in these people as they served. Rather than describe it this morning, uh, one of the people who served, uh, Darwin, put together a short video on that. So I just want you to see some pictures. It's about two minutes long of them serving in these two houses in the Elgin neighborhood. Most of those pictures are after pictures. Uh, The picket fence was just in shambles, had no paint on it. The house had no paint on it when they showed up. Uh, And it was phenomenal what things looked like when it was over. Uh, And the leaders of those teams weren't in the pictures. So Shane Paul did a great job organizing both of those teams. as well as Lisa Chung, who leads our Compassion Ministries here, is a phenomenal leader. But we serve in so many ways. We have um, all kinds of serving that goes on with Huff Elementary. In fact, we're going to kick off the Thanksgiving boxes next weekend where we provide food for Thanksgiving week for... Uh, last year was 40 families, and we're going to do that again starting next week. We serve in so many ways. The Haiti team, uh, 12 people lead to serve at an orphanage in port au Haiti, this Friday at 3 p.m. They could use your prayers. And then there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that you serve that just go unseen, unspoken. This week, Ella Van Geen finished two and a half years of chemo. And your cards, your prayers, supported her and Steve and Katie through that time in amazing ways. Thank you for all of that from them. I love being a part of a church that has such a huge heart to serve and to love others. And we don't do it to hear anybody to say thanks. It's what I love about the teams that show up and serve, that provide meals, that provide transportation, that fix homes, that provide coats or food. Nobody does it to hear a thank you. We do it based off of Jesus' words when he said, as much as you do it to the least of these, to somebody in need, you're doing it for me. We'll hear a thank you from him one day. For now it's enough just to serve. And I love that heart in this place. 
And I love that it continues to grow every week, every month, every year that we're here as a church in this neighborhood. Maybe the one verse that sums this whole thing up for me best is John 1.14 out of the message when it just talks about Jesus Himself coming from heaven to earth. And it says the Word, Jesus, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And what I love is just the simplicity of that. Jesus, God Himself, brought heaven to earth. God moved into the neighborhood and we underestimate how tough that was for Jesus, what his life was like for that 33 and a half years, what it was like for him every single day to live the life that he asks us to live and to love the way that he asks us to love. But he moved into the neighborhood for you and for me, and he brought us grace, and he brought us hope, and he brought us life. It's a challenging journey that you and I are on together. It really is. To learn to live in Jesus is tough. And then to learn to love each other, now that can be even harder. But God is still working in all of us. And He will be for at least the next 15 years. And we know that God has taken us through a lot together as a family for the last 15 years. And we know in that 15 years that He has provided for us, He has cared for us, He has grown us. And so we can be confident that He will carry us for the next 15 years and 15 after that. We know from experience that the low road ahead is likely to contain some twists and some turns and some bumps. And though it may be challenging, we can be certain that the same God who loves us today will walk with us, will carry us over every step of that road. And that He hears all the hopes and all the dreams and all the prayers of this community that is moving forward by faith into the unknown together.